All right. All right, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Elevate Your Grind brought to you by the Cannabis Lab. I am your host, Todd Rosales, and it is excellent to be back here today. Um, we have done over 220 episodes, so it's about time to going back around and visiting some of our favorite guests from the history of the show and bringing them back for updates, new opinions, and really just because I extremely, I really like talking to them, folks. So of course, if you can't sit down and watch this entire episode, you can catch it later at any time on youtube.com slash elevate your grind, or you can find it anywhere that you download your podcast. But let's be honest, it's probably just Apple or Spotify. Uh, we have some great events coming up for Cannabis Lab. You can check those out at joincelab.com. Um, without any further ado, I want to get into this conversation because this is someone I've wanted to talk to again for a while. Um, I'll get into why after I introduce her, because I think a lot of it is going to be a compliment to her. So, uh, with that being said, please welcome the founder and CEO of Vanks, Carson Humiston. Carson, thank you for joining me. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I, I always forget that you do video. I, I, sorry, I didn't, I'm, I'm not having the world's greatest hair day. Oh, it, please. I, um, if we go back to the pandemic, there are different shades of me. And also since the last time we talk, I'm taking up more of the screen. So I might need to retire the video. Um, uh, that's not true. You look great to me. Thank you, Carson. The last step I, I, I told you right before we recorded, recorded that, um, I listened to your episode with Todd Harrison. And the one thing that he ended on is that you don't get enough snaps in the industry for doing what you do. So I'm going to start there. Right. Um, I am a huge fan of yours. Most of the knowledge that I have is just echoing things that you've put on social media. So like when you're not posting that often, I don't come across nearly as smart anymore because I don't have anything that I can take. But <laughs> one of the things that I've told everybody that I've done on this show, I've done 225, 230 episodes, something like that. And there have been two people in the history of the show where I got off and I go, I don't know if I'm smart enough to do this. And it was Brian Smith and you. <laughs> Um, well, I definitely, uh, I, I really appreciate the compliment and I can tell you that you are much smarter than I am. Um, and Ryan would probably say the same, but we, we, you know, he's my friend and I could say, I appreciate the compliment and I know Ryan would appreciate the compliment too. I, I love it because you guys, the, the two of you to me, like after, after I, I did interviewed both of you, I'm like the, you know, I'm like, I'm not doing something right. I've, I'm not studying enough and, and, and but and not in a negative way where I look down on myself, it just it inspires me to do more because I see people younger than me that are out there and doing it. And, and I love it. And I love to see where you've come. I actually, I can't show you because it'll disconnect our entire production. I rock the proud to working cannabis sticker on my laptop. Um, I had a small stint outside of the industry for almost the past year and I refuse to take it off because I miss, I love this industry and everything about it. And I love what you're doing it. I love the information that you put out there. So uh, we can end this segment of making Carson blush, but I do want to appreciate and tell you everything that you do in the industry is, is amazing. So no, I, I appreciate that. And, and Ryan and I have a lot of mutual investors. So maybe we'll, we'll just take this clip and, and we'll, we'll send it to them to remind them. There you go. I, I would be happy no, to but, back but that up Todd, you Todd in, in all seriousness, your podcast is incredible. And now that I'm slightly in the podcasting biz, I'm so impressed that you've done two over 200 episodes. I mean, that is such commitment. And I religiously follow your podcast and the guests that you bring on. And I've learned an absolute ton from you and your podcast. So I really appreciate everything that you do for this industry. And you inspire me and the team at Vanks loves you. So you know, not trying to turn the tables and make you blush, but thank you for everything you do for the industry because your podcast is incredible. And uh, everyone that I know that listens to it absolutely loves it. 
Thank you. Well, that clip I'm actually going to pull out and send to my parents because they're wondering why I'm still doing this. So Okay, good. Everyone <laughs> will send every we'll, we'll take the first we'll tell everybody don't worry about the rest of the episode. Just listen to the first, you know, however many minutes we've been oh. uh complimenting each other, but, oh, but no, yeah, but I can't wait to dive in. We're going to solve the problems of the world on the rest of this podcast. Okay, good. We're going to talk about what's wrong with the industry and how we're going to mm -hmm. fix it. All right, I love it. I'm ready for okay. it. So Carson, it is the number one stat that it, it literally, I, I think people give me credit for this now, even though I quote you on it every time, just because I've said it so many times, is the industry is in a bad state right now. 2021, we raised $1.5 billion from venture capital. 2022, was it, I think, less than 300,000 or less than 400,000? What is going on right now? Uh, it is scary out there. Um, people are losing their jobs. We're hoping to see things turn around, but what are you seeing? I know I feel like you're right at the heartbeat of the industry because you're getting people jobs. You're getting people employed. You're seeing how many job listings are out there, what kind of job listings and everything else you're recruiting, you're doing postings and all that. What do you think is going on with us right now? Yeah, so I, I know exactly what you're, you're you're talking about last summer when we had uh, we had Ian Dominguez and Emily Paxia on the podcast and we were talking about the stats in terms of VC dollars raised. And actually it's something like in 2022, VC funding was down like 90% in the cannabis industry. And it's it's actually gotten worse in into Oof. 2023. So look, a year ago, people were saying to venture-backed companies of all kinds, including cannabis venture-backed companies, that winter is coming or it's here. And there's a good chance that if you go out to raise capital, it's not going to be there. And so you need to focus on getting your business to a place uh, of profitability or a place where you're at least break even so that you do not have to rely on other people's money to fund your business. And so I think the warning signs were here a year ago. And I think some people took that message to heart and they looked at their business and they said, what do I need to do to get on the path to profitability and to be self-sustaining and to control my own destiny? And other people um, stayed in the 2020, 2021 mentality and mindset where the next round was always going to be there. And I think a lot of people have had a very rude awakening. Um, and I think that's why we've seen a lot of companies uh, really in a, in a tough cash and in, in hard position. But on the other side, I think there's a lot of companies out there that did a lot of really hard work. They made hard decisions. They cut their expenses. They got to a place where they were could be default alive. And we're seeing those companies really press forward and move ahead. And so I think that it is a, there is a, this is a moment where good companies are going to break out from the pack and other companies are, are not going to make it. And that's just the reality of what's going on in our industry. And it's super unfortunate because uh, you just don't like to see companies going out of business or people losing their jobs, but that's the reality. And as a, I'll stop there. But I think that what's going on is that there is not funding available. And so your business has to be self-sustaining. You have to figure out a way that you do not have to rely on investors' money to run your business. And if you're not doing that, you're in a very hard place right now because there's just not capital available for the space. There's there's not. And it's crazy how much it has dried up, like you said, over 90% decrease from the year before. 
it's not that there's not there's not capital for anybody. It's not even like, okay, you have to button up your business plan and everything else and only the best company. It's really just the tippy tippy top companies right now are the ones that already have investors in the door that seem to be raising money. I have a couple of theories around that and I'm curious to know your thoughts on them. One of them to me, and this is probably outlandish out there, but it's a podcast. So it's fun to think about this kind of stuff is one of the last major industries that this country has seen emerge from nothing was technology. And really when I say technology, the internet age, where most of the stuff that was created was created on the internet. You couldn't touch it. You couldn't smell it. You couldn't feel it. It wasn't physical product, right? To spin up a website, to add another piece to your website, to add a marketplace, whatever it is, it's coding. It's not, you don't have to physically wait for brick and mortar to be built. You don't have to wait for a product to be grown, you know, and then all of a sudden we come into cannabis and the last, you know, the last great returns that, that investors were seeing was from tech that can scale up very, very quickly, can hire, can, can spin up stuff. And, you know, they could grow without having profitability. And then like someone like Facebook can turn on ads and, you know, there's more revenue coming in because they already have the user base. With cannabis, you you can't really do that, right? If you have a 100 light facility, you're going to put out whatever that 100 light facility can put out. If you want to put out more than that, and, and that you're not going to get that for like, you know, anywhere two, three, four months. If you want to expand or you want to have hyper growth, you have to plan for it well ahead of time. You can't just all of a sudden spin it up. I can tell you from personal experience, I came from a world of software and services. And when I got, if I got a thousand new clients in a month, like that, we can have a thousand software keys. If all of a sudden with my my last job running a cannabis brand, we had a thousand new doors, I didn't necessarily have the the product to put in a thousand new doors. Mm -hmm. So is there a translation of people are expecting cannabis to be what tech was and it just physically can't? I mean, I think anyone, ex they're very different. I mean, cannabis, to the point that you just said, if you're a plant touching business, you're growing a product, you're manufacturing the product, you know, packaging it, and then you're putting it in retail stores to sell. So it's like fundamentally different. So anybody that thought that cannabis was going to be the same or have the same kind of economics, unless you're, of course, unless you're a cannabis tech company, but yeah. kind of putting that into another bucket. Anybody that thought that cannabis and tech as a, you know, two broad industries were going to be the same is just dumb. I mean, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They're very different. I mean, to your point, like you got to win a license, open, find a facility, open the facility, staff the facility, grow a product, test a product, extract the product. Like it is, could not be more different than building a piece of software that can scale very quickly, which is why a lot of cannabis investors and cannabis firms, cannabis investment firms was like, we are not going to do the plant touching. We're going to do the ancillary business, the business like a Vangst and like a Leaflink, Ryan's business and like a Dutchie, because there's, you can build the infrastructure and you can scale across multiple states much more quickly. Do you think that, that, because that was my next theory is, you know, there's always there's always that old adage is you don't get rich off mining for gold. You get rich off selling the picks and shovels. But if people stop coming to mine for gold, nobody's selling any picks and shovels. So we look at the Series A, the Series B that a lot of the ancillary businesses raised, and they raised a significant amount of capital. And I don't know if you've looked into this. If anyone has, I'd imagine it'd be you. The amount of money that the actual plant touching businesses have raised versus the ones that are ancillary 
I feel as if that, you know, there was a lot of money that was dumped into the ancillary businesses because people were afraid of plant touching for the reasons that you said, and also because of the federal legality of it, that, you know, it there weren't enough gold miners coming in to sell all the picks and shovels to. All of a sudden, you scale up as fast as you can, you have a solid market share, and then there's just nowhere to go from there. I would, I, I think I would definitely agree with that. I think that tech companies actually probably grew faster than the market could grow. So I would imagine there's a lot of tech companies out there right now that they could service a lot more customers than they're currently servicing. And they're now slowed down by the pace at which the industry is growing. So let's just take a state like New York, mm -hmm. right? Supposedly there's going to be 75,000 jobs created in New York. We're ready to rock. Let's get these jobs on banks.com. We have the infrastructure ready to go. We can fill those 75,000 jobs on our platform. We're ready. But if the jobs aren't there, there's not, you know, there's not much for us to do in New York. And that's the same across every single ancillary business. So I definitely think that that has slowed down the growth of ancillary businesses. I mean, you're exactly right with what you just said. Ancillary businesses can only grow as fast as the plant touching businesses because that's who our customers are. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're all in a, in a moment where we're waiting. And to the point earlier where you have to be able to control your own destiny and weather the storm. Listen, I would love for all these markets to come online and to hit the gas and to rock and roll, but that's not what's happening right now. And so you have to have enough cash so that when that happens, you're ready to go. And so you have to stay alive. You have to stay on the field. I mean, I was listening to a great podcast the other day and they, you know, the, 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 the founder on the podcast said, uh, the, the game of entrepreneurship is staying alive. And in order to stay alive, you need to have a heartbeat and heartbeats go up and down and up and down and up and down. And actually when your heartbeat goes smooth, that's when you're dead. So you, as a founder, you're always going to want to be up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, and when you're down, um, you, you got to hunker down and you have to remember that the next, you know, uh, heartbeat will be up. And when you're up, you have to not get too cocky and remember that winter's around the corner. And right now, a lot of people in the cannabis industry are in the downbeat. That's where we are right now. The industry's not moving as fast as we want. Legislation's not coming as fast as we want. We're all frustrated. There's not a lot of money. There's layoffs. It's a sh it's winter right now. But there's going to be an upbeat. There, there. $25 billion in legal cannabis sales in a limited market, right? In a limited regulated market. I mean, that is incredible. People love cannabis. It changes lives. It does so much. This is just a moment in time. We're in a downbeat. So you got to stay alive and be there for when we get to the upbeat, for when the jobs become, in my case, for my business, when the jobs become available, we got to be there. Um, so look, it sucks right now, but it's not over. It's far from over and people got to stay on the field. That's that's such a true statement. And it, it's funny because, you know, everybody kind of loves these comeback stories, these underdog stories. And, and, you know, I used to work with Ricky Williams. He talks about the hero's journey and, you know, the hero always goes through turmoil, but comes out victorious. Right. And I've always said to people like, we love a story like that. We look at the people on like Shark Tank or some of these famous entrepreneurs and you talk about, it's like, I, I shared a room with four people. I, I lived on the floor. I lived in my van for a week, but now they're multimillionaires or billionaires. So like we celebrate them and yeah, it's a great story now, but I'm sure it didn't feel good when they were going through it. I'm sure they didn't have the, the exact same thought process they had, you know, obviously they're, they're, 
resilient, which is why they got to where they are, but nobody enjoys going through that at the time they're going through. And I think that's where we all are. And, and you can correct me, but one of the great things about our industry is our conferences are a lot of fun. Like they're just more fun than anywhere else that you go. So you become friends with the people that you work with and the people you do business with are just the people in the industry. And I think because it's so small that this is the natural course of business, there is typically a bubble and people tend to lose their jobs and companies go under. But I feel like we're all affected by it more because we've become so friendly with with each other that it's just like you hate to see your friends go through this. Yeah, I, I agree. And to a certain extent, everyone's going through it together, right? It's not, you know, I I find a little bit of comfort in, it's not like I'm looking around at these, you know, other companies who are just exploding uh, and just crushing every single piece of it. I mean, everyone in cannabis is having a challenging time right now. And to your point around friendships and remembering what we're all here for, even though there's competitors in the space and even though there's different people and different players and different interests, you know, at the end of the day, we all have a common goal, right? And that is to make cannabis accessible to everybody in America. That's it. And we know that when that happens, there's going to be potentially millions of jobs. There's going to be crazy economic benefits. Talk about an industry that can can truly can truly make a, a just a general impact and help undo some of the horrific wrongings that occurred because of the war on drugs. So there's just like so many, not to mention the medical benefits. I mean, there's so many great things that will come from this industry. And so we all do have this like thing that we're all kind of all going towards at the same time. So I feel like that makes the camaraderie that much stronger. And that makes it exciting when you go to a conference and you see your friend or your customer that you haven't seen in a year and you're like swapping, swapping war stories. And I, I think that at the end of the day, when we all get to the goal that we're hoping for, it's just going to be crazy, incredible. And, you know, it, success doesn't happen overnight. I, I agree with you. And, and, and it's funny, this conversation is actually making me feel a whole lot better about what's going on. Cause I do have a lot of these conversations and they are very negative, but there is there's light at the end of the tunnel. I know that you and your company are, are personally helping that and helping people who have been laid off find jobs. And one of the cool things I think you guys are doing too is your new LinkedIn strategy where I'm seeing, you know, I don't know what you guys are searching for, if it's ha a hashtag layoff or whatever it is, but the tech industry and other industries are, are hemorrhaging people as well too. And, you know, every time I see someone who got laid off, I see a Vanks right there like, hey, we're hiring, we're, cannabis is hiring, come, come check us out. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, that's all Annalise, who is who runs our social and our marketing. And she told me that she's been doing that. And I've, I've actually, it's been popping up on my LinkedIn too. And it's really cool because look, we definitely don't have as many jobs as we had on our platform two years ago, but I'm just going to look right now. And I mean, but right now on banks.com, there's been 13, 1,321 jobs posted in the last 30 days. So, I mean, that's, that's, that, you know, there's still... 1300 jobs for people out there. Um, I mean, not yeah. zero, put it that way. You got, I'd love only... it. I'd love it to be 10. I'd love it to be 10,000, but it's not zero. Yeah, no. And there, so, I mean, I can tell you my personal experience. I got let go in, in July, August of last year. And I'll tell you the last half of last year was rough. It was, it was very rough. And there, I would be on LinkedIn every day. I'd be on Vanks every day and I'd be refreshing. Like 
there's got to be some new jobs coming up. And something for me that's really tough is I live in the state of Florida. We have 22 operators here. So unless I wanted to go into retail, there's not a ton of leadership positions here. And I remember I'd watch that shit like the stock market, like once every every half hour on the half hour refreshing it and come into the first half of this year that that changed a lot. There are a lot of good positions starting to open up, companies looking to open up their doors again. That, that's just from my own personal experience. And I'm one of many, many people. You guys did a, a fantastic job of compiling a jobs report. So let's kind of break down what you're talking about, what you're seeing. So, you know, going through the report and, and I don't have the best memory, maybe that's a side effect of being in the industry, but I know that we did lose jobs for the first time this past year. It wasn't a ton. There were less this year than the year before, but it looks like to me that you have all these great emerging markets that are growing like wildfire, but a lot of the mature markets are starting to level out and maybe shed some of the fat or they're just, you know, the natural yeah. course of business is happening. Yeah. So the, the 2023 Vanks jobs report, which we partnered with um, Bo from the Whitney economics and Bruce Barcott, who used to be a, the senior editor at LeafLink, I'm sorry, Leafly, who used to produce this report. And now this year, Vanks picked it up and took it over. It, it fits better with what we're doing than what Leafly's doing, but Leafly, we got to give them credit because they're the ones who had this idea to start this. So we're super proud to pick up the partnership. But, you know, what we found in the 2023 Vanks jobs report was that there's right now there's 417,000 full-time jobs supported by legal cannabis as of early 2023. And now that's down 2% from one year ago. And it's the first time in the history of legal cannabis that we've seen a decrease in jobs since this report started coming out. So now what is interesting is, you know, when we look at where did the jobs decline versus where did the jobs, um, where did the jobs pick up? And so to your point around the jobs that created a lot of jobs, or sorry, the markets that created a lot of jobs, we did see that. So in Missouri, as an example, we saw a 350% increase in jobs. So there was 6,958 new jobs added in Missouri. In Michigan, there was a 14% increase in jobs. We saw 4,253 new jobs created. In New Jersey, there was a 133% increase. There was over 4,000 jobs created. So we saw new markets uh, with job gains. Some other markets that had jobs gains were Florida, New Mexico, Montana, Ohio. But then to your point around, all right, well then where were the biggest job losses? This is very interesting. California, we saw them lose 12,600 jobs. That's down 13%. Colorado, we saw them lose 10,481. That's down 28%. Oklahoma, we lost 7,200 jobs, down 37%. Then we also saw Oregon, Nevada, and Arizona lose jobs. So like, you know, these much more mature markets, we definitely saw um, a pullback. You know, we saw massive price compression. We saw... Uh, businesses just closing down altogether. And, you know, then in new markets, we saw jobs going up. So I think this is natural in this industry. I think that it was more extreme because of what was going on in the broader economy with there just not being a lot of capital available with you know interest rates, you know, approaching 6%. Like it, there's just not free money was over in general. And then you had cannabis on top of it. But I think this would have happened even if the economy wasn't in the tank. This happens for new, new, new industries and new markets. We're just, you know, this is a new, this is a new thing. And again, I feel like I'm asking you questions as if like 
you have all the answers, but just I definitely opinion. don't. So like, don't, don't, I don't, you know, so take this with a grain of salt. Don't feel like you're, you're obligated to answer any of this stuff. But a part of me feels like the pandemic kind of delayed this in happening, that it might've happened sooner, or I don't know if it did or not, but we get designated as an essential service per the pandemic. And then, you know, when, when the world is shut down, people have additional income, there are unemployment benefits, there are PPE loans, there's all this almost free money coming from the government, which is not more than it ever had. People had more money to buy cannabis. And I feel like because these cannabis companies were deemed essential, they were doing business, they were growing exponentially. And then all of a sudden they were at the forefront. They were the media darling. It was a huge topic that the pandemic was getting, driving more people to cannabis that people kind of thought companies thought that this was going to last forever, that it really wasn't in a bubble like it was because the world doesn't operate that way. Not everybody stays at home and doesn't leave and just smokes weed all day. They they have to go out. They have jobs. They have families. There's things to do. And now that the world has quote unquote returned to normal, that you know those programs aren't there. The extra money for folks aren't there. People are going back to work. People are losing their jobs that you know, it kind of accelerated the growth of cannabis and then maybe accelerated the bubble bursting as well too, because of that whole experience. Yeah. So what I would, I agree. And what I would say is we all have like short-term memories, myself included, but if everybody 100%. remembers, if everyone remembers like fall of 2019, people were calling cannabis, the can of session, right? Yeah. I mean, fall of 2019 is when things really started not going well. So I remember at that time, that was when we started seeing big pullback. We started seeing people do doing layoffs. I remember Jeremy Burke, who was with Business Insider at the time, he started doing a newsletter on cannabis layoffs in 2019. And I remember saying to our team, you know, you know, you know, it's getting rough when there's a newsletter about cannabis industry layoffs. And this is in the fall of 2019. So this was happening. Then COVID happens. All the things that you just mentioned happen. Cannabis is deemed essential. People are at home. People are consuming more vices than ever before. People are getting stimulus money. It's 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 artificially inflated. Now that's over, and we're honestly just back to where we were in 2019. Except I would argue it's worse because you layer on the broader um, macro environment trends. Oh, and you layer on the fact who the f knows when we're ever getting any form of legislation, right? Like, I mean, 280e cannabis businesses are being taxed at an effective 70. percent I think for a period of time, investors were like okay, this is fine. We're going to help these businesses uh, cover the gap between, uh, between, you know, between being profitable uh, with, 280, with 280E in place. As soon as 280E goes away, these are going to be ATM machines. Now, no one really knows when 280E is going to go away. So nobody really knows when exactly businesses will be able to be more easily profitable. So it's just like way too risky of a bet. I feel like cannabis has gone into the like non-investable bucket because it's just like, too risky and there's too much unknowns and it's taking too long and investors are impatient, especially in this kind of environment right now. So yeah. I think like we're going back to 2019, only this time it's worse because of things that are not even cannabis specific. And then of course, 2019 was a long time ago and we've made minimal progress on the legislative front from most outsiders looking in perspective. You, Look, you that's my good... take, get grain of salt, but like, that's what I think. <laughs> I, I recently see like a bunch of the comedy podcasts putting disclaimers across the bottom. Like this is for fun. It's not actual advice. I might have to start doing that. Um, you make a good point though, because I joined the industry in 2018 and I remember walking around conferences and everybody saying that the federal legalization was five years away. And 
now it's 2023 and people are still saying that it's five years away. Like that five-year number has not changed. I know that Vanks had just recently celebrated its seven-year anniversary. So you you supersede me in this industry by like two or three years. Like I feel like that's a big part of it is everybody had this pie in the sky. Like, oh, the, the cat's out of the bag. You can't put it back. And they've, they've got to have legislation. 280E's got to get removed. And like you said, once it's gone, they're going to be ATM machines. But I think we all make these assumptions, and by we all, people smarter than, than my, myself and you, that this legislation is going to come. And then the rest of us kind of have gotten to the point where it's, we have to operate the way that things are today. We can't operate a business on what might happen in the future. Like, yeah, we can have a plan for it in case it happens, and that's going to be great. And it's actually selfishly, I'll tell a story. I remember one of the first things I did is I got invited down to Canada, Mexico that was run by the former president. Oh uh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Vicente Fox. And I got to do this thing called Canapreneurs. And it was really cool. And I got to sit with all these young Mexican entrepreneurs and give them it. Why they picked me to give them advice was stupid, but it was a lot of fun because it was, you know, giving them my opinion. And, uh, I had these two kids that were talking about helping California brands sell in Mexico. And I'm just like, well, you can't bring stuff across the border. Like, well, yeah, we feel that that's going to go away soon. And I'm like, oh my God, you, you cannot build an entire business around the principle that you're going to have not just, we didn't even have an interstate commerce at that time, but international, but on international, that, that is just the most ridiculous thing I've heard. Yeah. So I, 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 told them not to do that. I'm like, I really hope you're not taking this the wrong way. But I think a lot, like to your point, and I think you just also like, I don't know that you want to end up in like Mexican prison for like no. bringing in drugs. But you know, just that sounds like a do not do anything like that kind of business. They were telling me at the time that there was more cannabis coming south across the Mexican border than going north because all the people in Mexico were actually just driving across the border, buying weed and bringing it back. Look, I, I I can't comment on that. I don't know anything about it. All I know is that I don't want to, I have, I do not want to break any laws in any countries anywhere. And I do not think I would do well in a Mexican prison. And I don't know many people who would. So I think that business is not, not it. No, it, it was not a good idea. But my point of bringing that up is I think a lot of people have that mentality here in the U S is that, you know, Five years is that five-year concept. In five years, this is going to be a lot more profitable because things are going to change. And it just hasn't. More states have come online. We're starting to see some states give some kind of 280 relief. But generally across the board, cannabis legislation has not changed. The government is not keeping up with the court of public opinion. And you listen to news articles and, and news reports and everything else, but the government's not doing anything about it. They're, they parade safe banking into the, the the Senate once a year, and then it just dies again. So- you know, I, I think we both made that point that a lot of people invested based on assumptions that were going to happen. 100%. And they're not happening right now. And therefore, like I, you know, like I said earlier in this episode, entrepreneurs and everyone has yeah. to be in control of their own destiny in this industry. And if you're not, like you might get lucky and you might be able to attract capital, but I don't think the strategy is, is build a business that's required to, that you have to raise a ton more capital to, sure. to, to, to run. I, you've done a, a great job of building your business. I, I also think you do a great job as a leader because I haven't met anybody on your staff that hasn't, I haven't met anybody who ever has a negative thing to say about you, but I, you know, they're, they're out there. I got to tell you those, there are people out there, but I appreciate the compliment. 
well, I always encourage I always encourage trolls on this show because you guys help with the algorithm and engagement. So if you have anything mean to say about any of us, please list it in the comments. And as I always say, <laughs> don't argue amongst yourselves. Argue with everybody else in the comments. So this way there's I a lot of it. engagement. Um, pick a fight with somebody else in the comments. Please do that. But I, I say this to say you you seem to have you're doing well as an entrepreneur right now, building a business in this industry and one that is helping other people build their businesses. How, you know, you have raised capital, so you've had that ability to expand. How do you approach growing, scaling your company, managing your company, knowing what you know now and the experience you've had over the last seven years? Do you, I feel like at some point you had to have that conversation where it's like, I don't want to let people go, but it's better to have something that's still around than everybody go out of business altogether. And one of the things that I really want to commend you on is every so often on LinkedIn, I see you welcoming somebody back to Vangst. And I think that's cool as shit because I don't yeah. see that. Not only do I not see that in cannabis, I don't see it anywhere. Yeah, thanks. Um, we just actually, Kate Caffrey just rejoined Vangst. She was with us for a while and she's back. Sometimes it makes sense. I mean, look, so, uh, Justinian Mason is back. Jonte is back. We've been running banks for seven years, right? They're like, not everybody wants to work here for seven years. And in some cases, people have left, gone out, learned something really, really cool. We've stayed in good touch and they've come back. You know, I've shifted my tone a little bit because when I was first starting this out, I was like, people are all in, they're here for 10 years. And if they leave, there's the door. And I just don't have that perspective anymore. I think everybody's on their own career journey. And when you're here, I want you all in and all focused and let's do this. But if we're not the right fit for you, let's go our own ways amicably and stay in good touch and support each other um, from the outside, which is definitely a different tone than I would say I, you know, I used to take. Um, I forget your first, I forget, what was your first I answered the second part of the question. What was the first question? You were coming back. Uh, just the insight that you have manage your business to make sure that you're going to be around for the long haul, you know, having to make hard decisions, you know, at what point, and you, you kind of alluded to it here as you've matured to a point to have that attitude, but you know, was there a point in time that you had to buckle down, have a conversation with the management team and say, Hey, we got to cut oh, X yeah. amount of people. Like we got to do this. Oh yeah. 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 So we've done, we've done th this year was certainly not the first time we've done layoffs at banks in that uh 2019 canna session that i was describing to you we did it um during covid we did layoffs and furloughs and then um in uh december of 2022 we did around the layoffs and it totally sucks it sucks you, you do not you do not want to let people go but the alternative is that the entire business goes out of business. Yeah. And at the end of the day, when you're in a business like ours, it's kind of external market facing. When there's a ton of hiring and a ton of demand, um, you can afford to have more employees than when 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 funding dries up by 90% and companies are laying people off. So we we definitely um felt demand slow down here. And it's my job as the founder and CEO to protect and preserve what we've built. And make sure that we're going to be here on the other side of this so that to the, you know, what, what we were talking about earlier, so that when the states do open up and when the demand does come back, Vangst is here and ready to service customers. I mean, we've never said that, you know, we want to be here for five minutes and, and make a quick dollar. I and mean, we've been at yeah. this for seven years and 
we've made mistakes and we've learned things and we've done some things really well and there's things we can do better, but like we want to be here for the next seven years. And that means that we cannot run out of money. Yeah. Um, and look, I, I say it just like that. What I just said to you, which is now going to be on YouTube is exactly what I said in the all hands and exactly what I would say to any employee that comes to talk to me about it. And that's it. Like there's yeah. nothing else to say. We got to be here. Demand is down. If our revenue's down, that means we have to bring our expenses down. Period. Yeah. I, like I said, I think it's super cool that you're bringing people back. So there's two more things I want to touch on. I want to go back into the the job reports and the emerging yeah. markets and where you see opportunity. But I think there's two, there's some unique challenges that people that have been laid off in cannabis are facing right now. I think um, there are two things. One of them is I feel like, and I don't know if you see this, I feel like once you've worked in cannabis, it's hard to get a job outside of it because of the stigma related with it. And depending on where you were, like, and mm -hmm. I, and I, I saw someone post, I don't remember who it was. I wish I did so I can give them credit, but I saw someone post recently saying that there have been a ton of people that have worked in cannabis tech that are trying to go back into traditional tech and they're just not being given fair looks. And I know I, myself, I, I have a 12 year technology enterprise technology background before I got into cannabis. And that was a default for me to go back to. And A, that the industry itself is hemorrhaging jobs, but B, I kind of felt that, you know, if I had all things equal for someone who has my background versus someone who's been in tech and maybe even they had a larger gap in their unemployment, the cannabis thing kind of shot me in the foot. Um, do you think that other industries are hesitant to hire folks from our industry when they're ready to kind of get off the boat for a little bit so they don't have to deal with the hecticness, hecticness of the industry? I know what posters you're talking about. I think it got a lot of traction. I also can't remember who saw, who wrote it. Um, I don't know. I I I, I hope not. Right. Yeah. I I think that it's how you pitch yourself and spin yourself. In my opinion, people that went into the cannabis industry took a chance on an emerging industry and took a chance on being part of building something from the ground up. And I don't think that that should look bad or count against anybody. I mean, I think about, you know, I just had, I was had, um, I had a, my podcast earlier, had my podcast earlier today and I had Tracy Brady from Cureleaf who oh, runs their She's communications. She's great. I had her on the podcast earlier today and she worked in traditional advertising at a big ad agency in out, out of Boston. And she moved into the cannabis space. And I mean, just like, the amount of stuff that she had to do and learn. And uh, it's just like totally different than working at a big company. And I think that's such an incredible experience for anybody to have. And frankly, would make them more valuable if they went back into the quote, real yeah. world. So look, if I owned a business not in cannabis, I would be interested to hire someone from cannabis because of all the shit that people in this industry have had to go through. It'd probably be like a walk in the park. I mean, one of my investors, it's a non-cannabis investor, was like, if you could run a business in the cannabis industry based on all the stuff that you tell me about every single day, I think you're going to be fine running a business any anywhere. So, you know, maybe that's all of us just telling ourselves what we want to hear. And this is a giant echo chamber. But I, for one, think that it's how you pitch yourself. And cannabis is a great experience. And people that can get through like all the craziness in this industry could do great elsewhere. And I would love to hire those people. I couldn't agree with you more because that's part of the reason why I started this show is I thought everybody in the entrepreneurs specifically like yourself 
what you've had to go through in this industry has been to me exponentially harder than any typical founder goes through. You have those typical challenges and then all the bullshit that you have to deal with in cannabis. I will tell you that if you work outside of this industry, there is a stigma associated with you. Your coworkers will make jokes. Everyone's coming to you to talk about weed. It is, you, you get a look and people think that you're smoking all the time, uh -huh. shit like that. It, it's nuts, but as long as you do your job, you know, hopefully that, that doesn't affect you. The other thing that I think negatively impacts people, and I think, unfortunately, this is a side effect of the age of LinkedIn, where you have a living, breathing resume that you post on the internet, which is kind of crazy because all your biggest accomplishments and failures are essentially published for everybody to see. But a lot of people in cannabis have had multiple jobs over the past four or five years, seven months stints, eight months stints, a year, year and a month. And, you know, typically, at least historically, that's been looked at negatively by hiring managers because it's, oh, they can't hold down a job or, or something along those lines. But at the end of the day, you and I both know in this industry, there's just, there's bad fits. There are bad companies. There are companies that have gone out of business. It is an industry of startups. Do you think that also negatively impacts the chances for people in this industry to get employment? And I understand once you get, it's different to me once you get to the actual interview phase where it's. I can now tell you my story from my own words, but when I'm going yeah. through the application phase and a yeah. lot of times some people have algorithms that are searching through resumes, especially bigger companies, I feel like that is a kind of a notch against them sometimes. Yeah. And look, I would be lying if I said sometimes when I see someone that's bounced from six jobs, wondering what in the world is going on. Uh, I think some people have just gotten unlucky too. I mean, I, there's someone that works at banks that, got laid off three times and it was just all like, you know, a couple months there, company got into a bad place, like totally not. Enron this. to Silicon Valley bank. To <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. And, her, and hers was, you know, cannabis and mostly cannabis specific, but so some people just get a little bit unlucky on, on, on that front. Um, and, and yeah, it's unfortunate when that, when that happens, but yeah, it's not the best look when you stay places for a couple months at a time. So what I would recommend to those kind of candidates out there is when you're going through the interview process and picking your next place, really picking a place that you've done your due diligence on, right? You've talked to the founder about if they're a venture-backed company, how much runway do we have? If we do need to raise more, what milestones do we need to hit? And have we talked to our board about this? If we're getting onto the path to profitability, what milestones do we have to hit? What is expected of me in my role and how can I make sure that me in my role contributes to these overarching goals that make sure that we're here to last? I mean, I would that's the kind of due diligence that I would do to, to, to make sure that, okay, I've gotten some unlucky strikes here and I've gotten laid off from a few companies or haven't found the right fit or whatever the story is to make sure that you find a place where you can stick something out. Because I think one of the issues in this day and age is that people have like they can't stay focused no. right i mean they want to they want to do something but they want it to be an overnight success in six months and that's just like not how it goes down i mean listen i, I, I that would be great if someone can tell me a place where i can go to get rich in six months like i'm totally down but people think that that's the case but just history shows us that it's just not true things take 10, 20 years sometimes to, yeah. to, to really get to where, where you want them to be with a lot of ups and downs along the way. And I think you got to like buckle down and commit. And I have a lot of respect for people such as yourself that, you know, you stick this podcast out. It's hard to do 200 episodes, right? You know, I'm, I went to, a, I'm five I went to a, years away from my big Spotify deal, according to Joe Rogan's journey. So 
Exactly. And there's a lot of people, I, I went to this um, podcasting uh, virtual conference and they said most people quit at 40 episodes, right? So there you go. Quit at 40 episodes. You're long beyond that. And I just appreciate you or anybody that sticks something out for a long period of time. That's just how it goes. That's the thing is I think people need to figure that out because the part of the reason I do this show is it's fucking, it's so much fun. Like I get to talk to you. Like I get to have an hour conversation with you. I get your attention. We can talk about really cool shit. I get to talk. I can kind of talk to you about almost anything I want that you've worked on and get your opinion on it. And that's, that's why I love this. And I think, you know, I think too many people have an idea of what something is going to be in their head and it's not that. And then they want to, Social media, it's a great tool, but it's also, it's a big hindrance because people always think the grass is greener because they see shit and it's not. And then they go to the other side and it's not greener. And people, you know, you get depressed and you look online and you see people having fun or enjoying their jobs. And then you see these internet celebrities and everything now, like this might be the thing I end up being most successful at because I do it because I love it. I, there's, I don't make a dime from this show. Literally, actually, that's not true. Your dad helps me make like seven cents an episode, but, um, yeah, I was going to say, you should be able to sell some advertising slots for the show. You know, I, I, I now have a team behind me. I, I'll give a shout out to my my boys at Bay Foodies. They they have now agreed to start editing the show, pulling clips, and running my social media. It's a good friend of mine. But yeah, it, it was this was just kind of a hobby for me. And like I said, even your your dad was the one he reached out to me. By the way, your dad is is an awesome person. Um, his help monetize the show a little bit, and he's just he, the Humiston family is a great family. I will say that <laughs> for people listening that don't know, my dad my dad runs a podcasting business. My brother helps him with it and you know, they produce our podcast and they produce a lot that's of shows. Why you got that swanky industry. theme music, huh? That's how I got the swanky theme music. And um, yeah, it's fun. My, my, so my brother helps my dad with the podcasting business. So my brother edits a lot of the podcasts and you know, people in our family make fun of me because you know, I, I'm bad with phrases. Like I mess up phrases. I can't think of a phrase that I've met. Oh, the other day on, a, on an episode, I said, that's a tough nut to crack rather than that's a tough egg to crack and so my brother texted me like what's a tough nut to crack um so it's fun but i'm glad my dad's helping you monetize the podcast it should be more than seven cents an episode so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna give him crap for that like come on dad let's get this let's, there, let's there we get go. this guy uh, by the way revenue you said a tough nut to crack i i thought you were right <laughs> wait, wait 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 i just messed it up a tough sorry sorry i said a tough egg to crack okay Got and it. See, I didn't, I can't even do it when I'm retelling the story. But so you you God. say that, but you also have like one of the most iconic taglines in our industry, which with the proud to work in cannabis. And I actually think you, I don't even know if you guys have that the last time that we spoke, which was 2020. But I see it. I I do. I love the neon signs. I love seeing it around the office, and I love the stickers. Like, hey, but I also have to at some point probably grab a T-shirt with it because yeah, I love you it. Do. And I'm not. I I'm not somebody who wears pot leaves and I'm not super like cultural when it comes to that. And in most of the the weed stuff I wear is kind of the if you know you know, but there's just something about that phrase where it's like, I have no shame putting that one out there. Yeah. Kelsey Applebaum from our team came up with that. And one of the smartest marketing things we've done. And we did it for a Hall of Flowers. And actually at the Hall of Flowers we did a photo booth. And if you took your photo in front of the proud to work in cannabis sign, you know, you got the printout that said proud to work in cannabis. And it's just one of those things just went super well. We ran with it. We've got it as a tagline. We've got it in the office. We've got it at all of our booths. We got it in all of our swag. We did a podcast around it. So glad you love it. And a ton of people love it. So it's, uh, it's 
worked out. Yeah. I mean, the swag company alone could probably be its own entity there with, with everybody in the industry. So that'd be a cool thing to collab with different brands on. Um, just thoughts. But so <laughs> we talked for about 50 minutes of everything that's wrong with the industry. Let's talk about why the future is still bright. Um, I, I, I'm very, very bullish on this industry. Obviously, it's not going anywhere. The cat has been out of the bag. It has its challenges, but one industry doesn't. And, you know, I think our friends that have been laid off will find their spot in the industry at one point in another. And I hope that we are all better for it and that we're all in great positions. But there is opportunity out there and there's a lot of opportunity in emerging markets. So what would you say to people that are looking to either stay in the industry or folks that are looking to get into the industry? What kind of opportunities are there? Where are the opportunities and what are the positives that you're seeing? Yeah. So we're doing a, so before COVID, we always had career fairs in various states and they're in person and they're super cool. We're bringing it back on August 16th in Colorado. So I'm going to nice. send you the info on that because we're going to take these career fairs to various states. And even if there's not a ton of jobs, companies will go, hiring managers will go, we'll have speakers and it'll just all about getting in and getting ahead in cannabis. So I'd say, you know, if you can come to one of our in-person events, that would be great. I would say going to banks.com, making a profile, looking at the jobs. We now have a learning product where you can go and learn trimming 101, bud tending 101, things like that. So just like constantly learning, staying up to speed on what's going on in the industry and new markets, finding podcasts like, you know, finding podcasts like this one that you can listen to and you can stay up to speed on what's going on, finding people on Twitter that you want to follow newsletters that you want to read and just learning as much as you can is like step number one in networking and getting in. You and I both started with not knowing anyone in cannabis. And now seven years later, and we can pick up our phone and text basically any company in the industry that we want to yeah. text. And if we don't know someone there, we know someone that knows someone, but that was done. You and I do not have any kind of superpowers. We're not geniuses. There's nothing special about us. No offense. Other than we worked hard every single day and got to know people. And My anybody listening said the exact same that. thing to me. There's nothing special about me. And so do mine. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, there's Todd, there's, you know, I like anyone out there can go and do what we do. It's a matter of if they're going to go and do it in the cannabis, yeah. in the cannabis industry. Um, so that's what the first thing I would say, if you want to get into this industry, I know you can do it. And um, I just told you a couple steps as to how, and uh, it's putting one foot in front of the other, staying on top of the space, getting to know people in the space and problem solving, finding problems in the industry and figuring out how you're going to solve them either for your own business or another business. Um, in terms of what I'm looking forward to in the space is, look, I'm, I'm looking for, I think that we've been on this down heartbeat for a minute and I'm looking for an up heartbeat. I'm hoping that, and I'm sure everyone says this, but I'm hoping for some movement in Washington. I mean, safe banking would be a huge win. Uh, rescheduling would be a huge, uh, you know, it would be just a, just a huge win. So we could get rid of 280E. You know, I'm looking for some movement in Washington just to help the mentality of everybody. And um, I'm just also looking forward to seeing just like how it all plays out, right? It's super interesting to watch. Like we're literally watching a new industry unfold before our eyes. It's crazy, but it's super fascinating to see how it all unwinds. I really feel lucky to be part of a brand new industry, even though there's a lot of like not great days. I think we all have to be thankful that we're here and we're on the field. So I'm excited to keep building with the people that stay on the field and see how this thing shakes out and, and make the most of it every day. I mean, I guess that's all I can say, but I do just want to acknowledge that it has been hard and it's been hard for everybody. And 
you know, I'm a glass half full kind of person. So I'm obviously going to come onto this podcast and be positive, but there's certainly been days where I've just been like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? So I, I hope that people out there, um, know that, uh, the struggle is real and find good friends and find mentors and find people to talk to you about. We're all going to get through this and get to the other side. Uh, but you're not alone if you're, if you're um, struggling and, and, and feeling like a failure a little bit, because I certainly feel that a lot. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you putting that out there. Um, your guys make sure to check out Carson's podcast as well. The proud to work in cannabis podcast. It is a great listen. She has some phenomenal guests and you know, it's always good to hear multiple opinions. I had another thing that I wanted to bring up. Um, it kind of escaped me. Yeah, I can't think of it, but no, you're a hundred percent right. It is. Oh, so one of the coolest things I think about you, you say that you feel lucky to be in this industry at this point in time. And I, I certainly do, especially in the position I am behind this camera and microphone, because I don't know if there, there's a podcast I like to listen to. I don't know if you're familiar with it called business wars. I've heard of it. You know, I, I think it's one of the ones I have to get into, but I haven't yet. It is awesome. So it's classic business wars like uh, Ford versus Chevy, Nintendo versus PlayStation, you know, Kellogg's versus Nabisco and kind of how their competition shook out. And they do these uh, like reenactments. Like, have you ever seen like the cars that built America or the food that built America? Oh, yeah. It, yeah. It's okay, like okay. that, but in podcast form. And I feel so lucky because you hear is all it these. On cool one, it's on Wondery. Wondery. Yeah. Yeah. I feel lucky because there's all these cool stories about like when Henry Ford ran Ford and when, you know, the, the person whose name's on the building is running the company. And one of the cool things I love about being in our industry and, and because it is physical product too, is I'm at a point in time where the founders are running their companies in this industry and like, they're super involved. You, you know, you guys aren't chairmans of the board yet. You're not, you haven't been put on the roof yet. If you've ever watched Silicon Valley. So like I get to, I, I get to sit and watch, like I was talking to Ted Lighty yesterday, I get to watch Ted run Alien Labs. I get to watch Caleb run Connected. I get to see Carson run uh, Vanks. Like, I think that's really cool. And I don't know, maybe I'll do a business wars for cannabis in 20 years from now. But I think that's one of the coolest things about being in this industry. Um, last question, Carson. Will Josh Allen take us to the Super Bowl this year? Or <laughs> will he falter in the playoffs again? I think he'll take us to the Super Bowl this year. But... Um, I've been saying that every year for, you know, I think I went to my first Bills game when I was two. So I have been saying that, I guess if I went to my first game when I was two, I guess I've been going to Bills games for 28 years. And I've probably been saying that, uh, every year, but Bills mafia and I, I, I'm putting my money on Josh Allen. Yeah, I am too. I, uh, I've, I've talked a lot of shit throughout history. I, um, was two years ago when the Super Bowl was in LA is when I was with Heisman and we did, we did a big event around the Super Bowl. And I remember thinking like, if the bills go to the Super Bowl, I got to tell him, I gotta tell him I'm not going. And that was the only upside is I actually didn't have to worry about jeopardizing my job, but I, I, I've been dying to hopefully hit up. I don't remember who it was. Someone tweeted, uh, I think it was last year or it was last year or two years ago. Two, it must have been two years ago with the Chief game. They they tweeted at Emily and Morgan, like, congratulations, and there were seven seconds left in the game. And I remember just calling them out on Twitter. I'm like, why the fuck would you say that? Why would you say oh that? Oh, my the game's God. That, yeah, yeah, I remember that. That was, that was like, truly – a. and I actually am just kind of started – like, I've gone to a lot of Bills games, but I was never really super into it. But my fiancé is super into football. He's a Dolphins fan, which is super bizarre. He doesn't – he, are you, but wait, you're from Florida. Are you a Dolphins fan? I'm, so I'm from New Jersey originally. Okay. And then around four years old, I had a little rebellion against my dad, who was a Jets fan. 
And um, the bill, it was when the bills went to four straight Super Bowls. So I became a front runner bills fan, but I've okay, stuck good. with them ever since I was like four or five years old. Okay. I love that for you. But anyway, Jeff, my fiance is into football. So it's like always on in our house. But, now. Yeah. So I hate the dolphins like the rest of you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why he likes that team, but whatever. So I've been watching more and more. And I remember that game. I just was like mine, you know, blowing my mind. Yeah. I, I just remember seeing that tweet on Twitter. I like, per, I like, I, and I even like, I think I emailed Morgan and Emily. I'm like, Hey, I'm sorry if you're actually friends with him. He just jinxed us. Yeah, he did. <laughs> whoever the person was. Cool. Well, Carson, I know we've taken a lot of your time. Is there anything you want to promote or talk about before I let you go? No, I, I just want to say thank you to you for all that you do for the industry and for your friendship. It's been great to get to know you and watch you over the years and your total inspiration to the industry. So keep doing what you're doing. Everyone loves your podcast and I feel honored to be on it today. Thank you, Carson. You have a permanent spot on this because mainly, like I said, I, your LinkedIn feed is typically where I get most of my research and information. And, uh, you know, you've been an inspiration, you know, I feel a little bit more prepared for this, this conversation than the one we had last time, which I hope is a sign of my maturity, but it, it is a pleasure to have you on this show whenever you'd like to be here. Yeah. See you soon. All right. Well, thank you to Carson and thank you to everybody else at home. This has been another episode of Elevate Your Grind. Of course, if you missed any part of this episode, you can check it out at youtube.com slash elevate your grind for all things C-Lab. Check out jointclab.com, folks. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you next time.